if you had a non-renewable three-year contract to grow a church that would change the world, what would you do? Maybe some of you feel like that already in your employment in the life of the church. Yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're happy for you to do what you like, so long as you know, everything um, is solved and, and the world is one for Jesus. Would you build a leadership structure, an elite team of visionary entrepreneurs, a, a uh, group of highly skilled change agents? Would you develop a mission strategy a full program of outreach projects, evangelistic courses, revival meetings? Would you establish a, a theological school and offer a wide range of courses on the essentials of the gospel and how to share your faith with strangers at Kroger's? Well, a three-year mission to found the church, ignite a movement, and change the world. Sure, you can see where I'm going with this. This is precisely the challenge that Jesus faced, right? Well, maybe the whole non-renewable contract is a little theologically dubious. I mean, he did rise from the dead and come back again. But you know, um, I think you get my point. How did he do it? Because he got it right, you see. We're sitting here today because he got it right. He left no discernible leadership structure except authorizing his closest disciples to go and make other followers. He left no clear-cut mission strategy except setting an example to live in moment-by-moment moment obedience to the Father, responsive to the Holy Spirit, and touching and transforming the lives of everyone he met along the way. That sounds pretty good. He did not start a seminary. He just ensured that his disciples knew how to pass on what they had learned from him to others. So how did he start a discipleship movement that would spread from the ancient Holy Land to this day in Wilmore and us sitting here in this chapel? The answer lies, I think, in one short verse. He invited a few to be with him so he might send them out. You see, it's really simple. Meet Jesus and share Jesus. That's it. If you meet Jesus, your life will never be the same again. If you really meet Jesus, your life will be so filled with amazement at the privilege of receiving all of the goodness of heaven in him that you will be compelled to share him. Meet Jesus, share Jesus. I've stolen that from the president of the Methodist Church in Ireland. That's his, uh, his, his he has this, this role for a year and that's his slogan. But I think that could be the slogan for us here as a seminary. Meet Jesus, have your life transformed and share Jesus so that his life-transforming impact can spread throughout the world. Jesus certainly welcomed crowds. He attracted and blessed them by his ministry. He also attracted a, a large number of followers who would hang out on every word of his teaching and watch his example 
But then, as we heard in our reading, he selected 12 to be with him up close and personal, to watch his life, to know his heart, to receive his spirit and grow more like him from the inside out. And then he had an inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John. They were the first he called and the ones he named. They are the ones who encouraged Paul's mission to the Gentiles. They are the ones who planted churches and wrote letters that shape our lives today. They are the ones who took up their crosses and laid down their lives for Jesus, for his mission and his movement. Jesus knew, you see, that true discipleship cannot be mass-produced. There is no course There is no program. There is no technique. He knew that making disciples meant investing his life in a few who would learn because they were with him how to see things through his eyes. But better than that, to share his heart. Because this is really about the impartation of his life to them, a life that they would then overflow with and share to others. He knew that being a disciple is more caught than taught. And he knew that discipleship movement is something that spreads. Not even in the first instance, mouth to mouth, message to message, but heart to heart and life to life. This morning, I want us to meditate briefly on how Jesus trained his inner circle of disciples in in Mark's gospel and how he prepared them to live and die for the kingdom of God. Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us, no less really than you were with those first disciples. I pray, Lord, that you will breathe your spirit our minds and our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes. May we find you present with us in this moment. Speak to us, we pray. We long for your word, a word that raises the dead. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was in the middle of a crowd when, uh, when Jairus uh, came to him and fell at his feet and began to beg him, come, come and see my daughter. My daughter is dying. We're at the end of everything, and if, if you come, there's at least a chance that she might live. And I can only imagine his delight at the thought that Jesus was then going to come with him and he began to go in that direction. And then you know the story. Jesus, who is going to that house, gets caught up in another healing episode as a bleeding woman touches him and is miraculously healed. And then instead of Jesus just letting it go because he's on a mission to heal this other girl, he stops and starts having a conversation. He wants to know who's touched him and And what was going on? Why on earth would he do that? Doesn't it seem at first glance incredibly insensitive and off mission to to do that? And can you imagine 
Jairus, the whole, through that whole discourse that he's having with the disciples and everybody else, can you imagine him like, it's time to go. We, we, my daughter, my daughter. Why would Jesus seem to be unconcerned? Maybe he's not unconcerned. Perhaps Jesus knew that either way, the girl was going to die. And perhaps Jairus needed to witness a healing. Jesus said to him when that fateful news came, your daughter is dead. He said, don't be afraid, just believe. Keep the faith that brought you here in the first place. Have the faith of an unclean woman that your daughter, though dead, is still within the reach of my grace. Have the kind of faith that is founded upon the truth that one touch from him can change everything. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, left everybody else outside, took Peter, James, and John into the house to be with him. Why? Because Jesus needed the company? Because he might have needed protection? They were probably, you know, could have done that for him, Peter, James, and John. No. It's because he wanted them to see something. Something that would change their lives forever. They needed to see Jesus binding up the brokenhearted. Not just to see that, but to feel the compassion flowing from his heart to those grieving relatives. He, he wanted them to taste and feel and see for themselves the suffering, the hopelessness, the finality of this horrific situation. And to watch how Jesus comforted the mother who had been there when her daughter had died and a father who was not. But had wished he had been. They need to see Jesus proclaim the gospel. The girl is not dead but asleep. And they meant to see Jesus scorned, laughed at by the mourners and the doctors. What, what, what nonsense is this? There's no waking up from this one. We know a dead body when we see one. And this girl is dead. Properly dead. But Jesus is not appealing to their common sense. He wants to have eyes of faith opened, to see something new. Those disciples needed to see Jesus touch the untouchable. He took them into the room where the little girl was lying. I mean, you've got to use your imagination, right? And Jesus leans over this girl and takes hold of her hand and with every word, there is the breath of the Spirit flowing over her face. Little girl, arise. And in that moment, she breathes. She sits up. She looks around. She's alive. And Jesus says, that's it. Great job done. Let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> no. Peter, Jim, they're like, like uh, what is, what's going on here? First of all, you don't touch dead people and definitely not dead girls. Second of all, what on earth? He, they had seen him cast out demons and they'd seen him 
heal people. But now we're told they were completely astonished. Astonished. Eyes open wide to the limitless love and power of God. You can just imagine him saying to them, get used to this, guys. This is my mission. This is our mission. You see, this was a training in discipleship. You don't catch God's heart for the broken, the least, and the lost in a classroom alone. You don't find courage to face ridicule by reading a book on apologetics alone. You don't learn that all people are within the reach of his grace by coming to chapel alone. You need to be with Jesus. And you can't do that alone. On a second occasion, Jesus took the same disciples to a mountain. It's not unusual for Jesus to go to a mountain, right, to get away from the crowds. And it would not be unusual for Jesus to leave the disciples on the lower slopes and go off up the mountain alone to pray. What was unusual was that on this occasion, he took Peter, James, and John to be with him. Why? Because he wanted them to see something that would change their lives forever. They needed to see Jesus praying with his arms stretched heavenward. Abba, Father, I know what I must do, and I want to please you, so here I am. You are my glory. My joy is to do your will. Where you lead, I will go. I will trust in you alone. I will not be afraid. They needed to see Moses and Elijah appear with him and eavesdrop on their conversation about what that was going to actually mean. A path of suffering, of dying, of rising again. And they're meant to remember what had happened not long before on the road to Caesarea Philippi where they declared Jesus to be the Messiah and then then refused to believe what he had said about his dying and rising and how they had been rebuked for their own cowardly and selfish ways. They needed to see Jesus bathed in God's glory, his face shining like the sun, his clothes dazzling bright. There's a preview of the resurrection. They are given a vision of what it means to dwell in intimacy with the Father, not only to have one's heart cry out, Abba, Father, but to hear his, the the still, small whisper, or in Jesus' case, a great loud voice saying, this is my Son whom I love. You can just see Jesus' conversation with Peter, James, and John who of course wanted to turn all of this into a program, right? You know, let's build some booths and get everybody through. I don't know. It's probably exegetically incorrect, but it works for me, right? Um, No. Maybe what Jesus is saying is, guys, you better get used to this. 
This will be the kind of relationship with the Father that you will know for yourselves. And that you will need to know for yourselves. You see, this was a training in discipleship. You don't learn to abide with the Father in the classroom alone. You don't discover the joy of obedience from reading a book alone. You don't find courage to take up your cross daily and be, by coming to chapel alone. You need to be with Jesus. And you can't do that alone. Finally, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he shared a last supper with the disciples and then led them out to the Mount of Olives. Once again, he chose Peter, James, and John to go on further with him. The last time they were up the mountain, Jesus was resplendent in glory. This time, the mood was very different. This time, Jesus is not radiant. He is distressed, troubled. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. He says to his friends, stay here and keep watch. Watch for what? Watch out for the betrayer? Watch out for those Roman soldiers that are going to come and try to drag me away. And by the way, if you get the chance, lop off an ear or two. Hmm. The Roman soldiers, no, something much deeper than that. He wants them to see something that will change their lives forever. They needed to see him falling to the ground and praying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. This is a prayer of intimacy, of love, of confidence, of surrender. They were meant to remember how Jesus himself had taught them how to pray. Our Father, thy will be done. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh, no. What if he taught us that prayer for times such as this? They needed to see him wrestling with the garden. Will you take this cup from me? Three times he pleaded with God, and three times he found them sleeping. Watch and pray? Yeah. Watch me and pray for me. You're my friends, right? No wonder he was so ticked off. Peter is meant to remember his overconfident assertion, I will never deny you even if I have to die. James and John are meant to remember how they had asked to sit with Jesus in glory and his perplexing question, can you drink the cup from which I will drink? And they needed to see him wrestling with temptation. Not my will, but yours. What was the temptation? It's what temptation always is to forget who we are. 
and whose we are. To forget that we are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. To forget that whatever may befall us, he will deliver us from evil. To forget that we embrace all this. And I say this as a Yorkshireman who tends to be a miserable git. You're not going to understand that, but I said I'd try to get that into the sermon this morning. Uh, we do all this for the joy that is set before us, as he did for the joy that was set before him. You see, this was a training in discipleship. You don't learn how to pour out your heart to God in a classroom alone. You don't learn how to lay all your anguish and fear at his feet by reading a book alone. You don't learn how to surrender your lives to God by coming to chapel alone. You need to be with Jesus. And you can't do that alone. Because you see, Jesus didn't do it alone. He had Peter, James, and John. Was this just a training in discipleship for them? Yes. But was this the way that Jesus knew it was meant to be for all, including himself? Yes. Here is Jesus sharing his calling and his mission with a group of three guys. Here is Jesus sharing his mountaintop experiences with a group of three guys. Here is Jesus sharing the depths of anguish in his life and his fears and anxieties with these three guys. I have a really simple question for you this morning. Who's your Peter, James, and John? Surely we are not above our master. Do you want to be with Jesus? I hope you find him in the classroom. I hope you find him in your books, and I hope you find him here in chapel, even this morning. I do. But this is what I've discovered over the years, that the training of Jesus continues whenever two or three people gather in his name. For he is there. When we gather like Peter, James, and John in very small groups to share life with Jesus, we find ourselves sharing together in his mission. We find ourselves sharing together those moments of deep thanksgiving and awe at the amazing and unconditional love of God that shines through our lives. And we find ourselves conquering fear because we dare to share our anxieties and our burdens with one another. And when we do that, it becomes a means of grace because Jesus becomes present in our midst. And the one who is present in our midst is risen from the dead. And his spirit is in us. Who is your Peter, James, and John? Wesley was asking the same question when he urged the early Methodist to get into band meetings, to share their lives together. Jesus, you see, was a good Methodist. 
well, he had a band meeting, they say. <laughs> what about you? Do you want to be with Jesus? I'm not asking whether you want to have your own private relationship with him. I'm going to kind of assume that you already do. Either way, the answer is the same. I'm asking whether you want to find Jesus where he has promised to be. I'm asking whether you are ready to commit your heart to Jesus by opening it to a few spiritual friends. I'm asking whether you're ready to place your life into the hands of Jesus by trusting your life into the hands of two or three trusted companions. I'm asking whether you are ready to find that Jesus is truly with you in every moment of your life. Because there are a few others who will not let you settle for less. I'm asking whether you are ready to join his discipleship movement. A movement that continues this day in Wilmore and extends to the ends of the earth. Now I know a lot of you here will already be on that kind of journey. But maybe you need to think about what it means to press in deeper, more fully, to share your life with that group of people and with Jesus. Against all the odds, because of course, the spirit of this world is going to not want you to do this. The greatest strategy of the enemy to kill the church has been simply to whisper this truth in our ear, you keep your life to yourself. Your heart to yourself. That's private stuff. Game over. And then there are those who are ready to start this journey, even against all those odds, and maybe because of it, because you know that those whispers of the enemy are lies to prevent you from entering fully into the discipleship that you actually long for deep down. Because that's what we were made for. Here's a few things I think you can do. First of all, come and talk to me. I'm enthusiastic about this. I'd love to help you think through getting into such a band. Or come next Wednesday afternoon to a seminar that Brian and I will be leading in Holiness Week about this very topic. Or come, well, no, and come now. I want to invite you, if this is something that will be helpful to you, it would be my privilege to pray, anoint you with oil as a sign of the gift of the Spirit, not so that that can satisfy the longing that, I, that, that you have deep down for this kind of radical discipleship, no, but to invite the Spirit to come, the one who leads us to Jesus, and in leading us to Jesus, leads us to his friends. A sign, a seal of belonging to his movement. I'm in, whatever. I know that Jesus wants you to be with him. Do you want to be with Jesus? 
as the uh, band comes up and plays for us. Um, I'm going to stand down here with Brian, and uh, if you find it helpful, I just invite you to come. Simple prayer for the gift of the Spirit to help lead you to Jesus in these days, whatever that might mean.